morning, church. This morning we're going to be in the book of James, chapter 3, reading verse 13 through 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and of good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let's pray over the word this morning. Father God, we are beyond blessed, Lord. As we stand in this world and we see this chaos, Lord, we, are, we know that you're the God that brings order out of chaos. As you prepared to leave, you said, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, and neither let you be afraid. Lord, may we stand firm on this affirmation that you have given us, that you have went to prepare a place for us, and that you're coming back. May you find your bride ready, Lord. May we, as the body of Christ, unite as one, Lord, and, and have that wistful looking up, receiving that day when our bridegroom will come to collect us, Lord. Thank you for your word this morning. We pray that your Holy Spirit would fall upon us, that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart understanding as you teach through Pastor Jackie this morning. In your name, Jesus, amen. This morning, as we continue our journey through the general epistle of James, we want to be reminded, sometimes when we go through a book, you know, it takes me a long time, sorry, and, uh, and we break up pieces and we start to lose connection, the connectivity, this is all one letter, you know, we, we take five verses at a time and study it, but that's not how we read letters, right? Most of the time, somebody writes us a letter, how do we read it? The whole thing, right? So we don't want to lose the way that it all connects. Remember that he began by calling out the brothers. Count it all joy. And remember that we said that the the way that we're able to do that, to count it all joy, is to recognize that the fullness of joy is in the presence of God. So the call from James is, man, we need, and here I really want you to kind of grasp this, we need to understand what James is saying is don't let your relationship with God just be words only. It's easy to say, I count it all as joy. How do I know you count it all as joy? Is that something I can see? Can I see that in your life? You trust me. Did you guys see anybody ever look on Facebook? You don't want to confess that in church? Kathy put a thing up on Facebook. Did anybody see it? Of the two dogs? That... One, the one that's all happy, and then the other one, and she said, this is me and my husband when we wake up in the morning. And you have one happy dog sitting there, just looking out the window, and then you have this other one that looks like somebody just beat the snot out of it, trying to, <laughs> trying to lift its head, its eyes are all pointed the wrong way. 
Trust me, you know if I'm not joyful. It's, it's not something you can fake, is it? So here's the call. Count it all joy, brethren. You're going to have problems in your life. That's the beginning of the book. The book does not promise us if we come to Christ and we surrender our life to Christ, everything in our life is always going to be smooth like we want it. So he starts it with this. Be led out with joy. How do we do that? We find it in the presence of God. And when we're in the presence of God, we can have fullness of joy. So we come out. We want to be led out by Him, following Him, entering into our trials, recognizing that there's a purpose in our trials. Right? Does that not give you hope? It gives me hope to know that all my broken heart, all my, all my frustration and anger and struggle for life counts for something to God. And it's doing something. Something is being accomplished in it. It's not just emptiness. I don't know how you go through life with the, with the belief that life is just a series of random occurrences that you're trying to survive. That's not my world. My world is not like that. My world is orchestrated by a God in heaven. And there's a purpose. That's what he tells me in that first chapter. There's a purpose to your suffering. It's not empty. It, it, there's a purpose. I'm accomplishing something in you and in the world, even through your pain. Then he says, if any of you lacks wisdom. Is there anybody here who has ever lacked wisdom? Wants to admit it in church in front of people? He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, then let him ask of God. Who gives, right? So he's saying, look, God's not holding it back. And we went and we looked at Proverbs chapter 8. If you remember, Proverbs chapter 8 is wisdom personified. In fact, we're coming up to that. <coughs> in like six months, we'll be in chapter 8 in, on Wednesday nights. No, we finished like chapter 3, right? So we're getting closer. But Proverbs chapter 8 is a per, uh, personification of wisdom, which means, which points to Christ. It, Paul writes to us in Colossians that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hid in Christ Jesus. So just like joy, where do we find our wisdom? In Christ. Now I can say, I'm a follower of Christ, but can I, is there something I can see as a result? Is it only words, or is there something? Is there joy that comes from being in the presence of God? Is there wisdom that comes from being in the presence of God? That's, that's what the Word of God is declaring. And then he moves in chapter 2 to say, look, I, I, I understand... That you have faith, and faith is what brings us into a relationship with God. And that's absolutely true. And a lot of times, people have struggled with a book of James and the writings of Paul. So let me try to sort it out for you, because we're trying to compare apples and oranges. And when you compare apples and oranges, you don't understand what you're looking at. So Paul is writing, Paul is writing about our standing. What do I mean by it? He is writing about our position. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, you are righteous. Declared. That's what the Bible declares in the book of Romans. You are declared righteous by God. That's your standing. That is not your state. You guys get the difference? The standing. I'm declared righteous by God. I can now have a relationship with God. Hallelujah. But I don't stay there. Because my standing is, I tend to be a knucklehead. So James is dealing with my standing. What's my standing? My standing is don't let your relationship with God just be words. Let your relationship with God be more than that. Let it be real. Let the power of God work in your life. We sing songs about that all the time, about the power of God 
flowing through us, working in us, about the power of God's forgiveness in our lives. These are all incredibly powerful concepts. But if all they are is words, and they're not ever applied to our life, what do we have? We have a little bit of a, a, of a warm, fuzzy feeling when we sing it. But the reality is so much better than that. And that's what James is calling us to, the reality. The reality of that truth that God is moving and working in our lives. Then he moved on in the beginning of chapter 3 to tell us, you want to know what I'm looking for, James? He says, I'm looking for fruit in the life of a believer. And he starts in the weirdest place, right? The tongue. He goes immediately to how we talk. The way we use our words. And he says, look, if you're a mature believer, you govern your tongue. So before you say, oh yeah, I'm mature in the Lord. Ought to think about where, what, 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 what's your tongue been doing lately? What has been coming out of our mouths? He's calling us to control that. And as we come to this section of chapter 3, it's still the same call. Look at what he says in verse 13. He says, Who is wise and understanding among you? He's just finishing up talking about the tongue. So who is wise? Now we said if anybody lacks wisdom, where do we get it? From Jesus, right? Jesus, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Him. So I've got a relationship with Christ. If my standing, if my standing is in Christ that I ought to be showing forth the characteristics of the one in whom I stand. Right? If my position is in Christ, my life ought to look like it. Come on, let's simplify it. So, in case, just in case that's over your head. If I say, I have got signed by the... I don't know where they're at now. Is it, are the Rams back in L.A.? Anybody know? That's where they were when I was a kid, so it's one of the only teams I can think of. I burned all my Ram stuff when they left, so I don't really like them. But anyways, if I said to you, I got signed by the L.A. Rams, and then Sunday when you know the Rams are playing, I'm hanging out with you across the street at Arctic Circle, is my position real or imagined? If I say, I'm in Christ, but that's not where my life is. My position is in in Him and declared righteous, and that's all absolutely true by faith. But I can tell that's true by where you're at. By where you are. And that's what James is saying. Man, is there anybody wise among you? Is Jesus really functioning in your life? Is Jesus really working in your life? Is Jesus really accomplishing things in your life? Then this is what happens. We begin to change. That's not instant. Nobody ever said it was instant. But it changes. I'm no longer satisfied. I'm no longer satisfied being king of the hill. All that stuff loses its luster. We're in... Where'd we go? Yellowstone. We're one of the 10 million crazy people who went to Yellowstone for the sun going out. What do you call that? Eclipse. (laughs) Oh, Lord have mercy. So, the funny thing is, we're in our campground the day of the eclipse, and everybody in the campground got up and left. So we went out into the road and sat in the road, because there's nobody there, 
and watch the eclipse. So that was cool. And we have this plan. When the sun is dark, that's when we'll leave. Because people want to see it come back, right? So that was the plan. (laughs) Yeah, whatever. So we see the eclipse. Very cool. We go. We go to to clear everything out. I need a tool out of my truck. So I put the tailgate down, and I go get a tool, and I fix what I'm fixing. I put the tool in the trailer. That's where I went wrong. Should have put the tool back in a toolbox, which was on the tailgate, which was down. And then, I drove away. (laughs) Maybe five seconds before I hear this really horrific crunching sound. (laughs) And I look at Kathy and I go, did I just run over something? She looks at me and goes, I don't know. (laughs) So I turn the wheel again. (laughs) Oh yeah, I know what that is. Tailgate. My tailgate looks like a slinky. <laughs> All crunched and smashed. On a new truck that I've already had to fix twice. <laughs> My wife's not so good at driving it over bridges, let's just say. So, I have decided God has been trying to tell me something. Jackie, you can't have nice stuff. So we got to scratch it. And, but the point is, the reality is, that stuff really doesn't make me crazy. Because it doesn't have the same luster it did once upon a time. Because my life with Christ has made all those other things that used to glisten a little duller. So that I realize they're good. It's good stuff. It's okay to have good stuff. As long as your good stuff doesn't have you. We don't want to be possessed by our possessions. We want to understand, (coughs) okay, what does it look? What does the conduct of a wise man rightly reflecting in his life the characteristics of his God and King? Because I'm in Christ, and Christ is wisdom. So there should be an attitude of wisdom that flows from my mind. What's that look like? That's what these several verses are about. What does that look like? What What does it act like? What does it smell like? What is it all about? So he begins first with the conduct. What's the conduct of the wise man? That's verse 13. Look at it. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. In the meekness of wisdom. So he begins. Who is wise among you? So it sounds like there's a problem, right? Like, where's wisdom? Where is wisdom at in our lives? Where is wisdom from? Where does it come from? We say in James 1.5, right? We talked about it. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Wisdom coming from Jesus Christ. Not only is he saying where is wisdom, but also where is understanding. Wisdom, wisdom is, the, is this thing, this gift given to us by the Lord. Understanding is using it. Right? It's one thing to know how to do something, another thing to do it, how you're supposed to do it. Yeah? I know the theory of it, now I know the reality of it. I want to be able to do what it is that I see. So he says, what's the practice then? The man who has wisdom, his conduct, where do we get it? From Jesus Christ, okay? Then we say, what's next? The practice. Let him show. Words are cheap. 
Let Him show by His good conduct. Let Him show. It should shine out of our life. It should come forth from inside of us, this reality of Jesus Christ inside of us. And the reality is, guys, listen, in this verse, in verse 13, where it says, let Him show, it's an imperative. So for you guys who are not majors in English, that means it's a command. It's a thou shalt. Thou shalt show forth the wisdom. If you're a wise man, you shall show forth that wisdom. What's the source? Where are we going to see this wisdom? Where are we going to see evidence of this wisdom in your life? What's the next phrase? Out of His good conduct, right? It comes out of how we live our lives. It's shining forth. By His good conduct, let Him show His works. The fruitfulness of the wisdom that's in our life should come shining through our life. It should come shining through who we are and what we are about. So we should see this coming out. And what we want to understand is it's observable. It's observable. It's it's just like I told you. you, None of you guys would fall for the deal if I said, uh, yeah, I got signed by the Los Angeles Rams. Because in the middle of football season, I'll still be here and be fat and sloppy. And you know I can't play for them. So you, you're not going to buy it. We do it every day. We see that reality in the circumstances of life. But we are hesitant to say that's the same in our relationship with Jesus Christ. We are, we are, we are willing to say, well, it's by faith, which is absolutely true. That's my standing. I'm talking about the truth of your standing. The truth of your standing in Christ should be evident in your life. Should shine forth. It should be observable. We should see the effects, the fingerprints. Or like this, actions speak louder than words, right? Can we all relate to that? Actions speak louder than words. Ladies, how many times you had a guy say, I love you, it was a lie? Yeah, you know. I knew Carol would have a number. <coughs> We understand. We, in our lives, we have seen the reality of what I'm talking about. We've seen the reality of it. So when we look here, we understand. What's he laying out for us in the beginning? What's the conduct of a wise man? You ought to be able to see it in his life. You ought to be able to see the effects. Let him show it in his works. But there's a way we're supposed to show it. There's a way we're supposed to show it. How are we supposed to show it? With meekness. Right? You guys see that? At the end of the verse, look what it says. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Now what is that all about? We know that Jesus told this, guys, when we look in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus said, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am, see that word gentle? I am gentle, so same word. I am meek. The meekness of Christ. That's the example. Now we already said, if there are characteristics of the God in whom we stand, then the reality of us standing in Him should shine forth in our life. If one of those things is meekness, shouldn't that be evident as well? If one of those things is love, shouldn't that be evident? If one of those things is long-suffering, shouldn't that be evident? 
The idea that the characteristics of the God in whom we trust, in whom we say we stand, shines out of our life. That's the reality of what a Christian life ought to look like. So, what is this idea of meekness all about? Sometimes we learn about the meaning of a word by looking at the opposite. So I'll give you the opposite. The opposite of the word meekness is the word revenge. The opposite of meekness in Greek is the word revenge. Now here's a place we get it pictured. We can kind of read the story a little bit. I just want you to, I'm just going to read, I'm not going to make a lot of remarks about it, but we're going to read out of Numbers chapter 12. Because the scripture tells us in the Old Testament, there's one guy who was meeker than everybody else. You know who the scripture says that was? Moses. Moses was the meekest man. Jesus even declares it. Well, let's look at Numbers 12. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses. So we got a, a group of people backbiting against Moses. Because of the Cushite woman whom he married. They didn't like the woman he married. Now, don't make this all weird. You guys all know there's been conversations like this that you know of. Two people that know somebody else. Well, I like him, but I don't like his wife. The Bible's not all that different and weird. That's what's going on. And they said, has the Lord indeed only spoken through Moses? I mean, Moses isn't that special. Has he not spoken through us also? What's the next phrase? And the Lord heard it. Are you aware of that? Remember, we were talking about the tongue in chapter 3. We should be able to control our tongue and what we say with our tongue. Well, here's what it says. It doesn't say Moses complained to God about what they said. It doesn't say Moses got a bunch of people together and said, you know, these people are talking about me. It said the Lord heard it. God heard. What does he do? It says, it says, and the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who are on the face of the earth. It's a pretty good example of meekness. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses, to Aaron, to Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And the three of them came out. And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood in the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forward. And he said, Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. But that's not, not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly, not in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Now, would you be a little uptight by that? He said, why? why? God is saying to them, why do you think you could talk to Moses? Me and Moses talk face to face. Why weren't you afraid? The book of of Proverbs says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Oh, why, why were you afraid? Why weren't you afraid? Oh, because they weren't really focused on what they ought to be focused on. So it says, <clears throat> The anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. And when the cloud removed from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous like snow. And Aaron turned toward Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said to Moses, Oh, my Lord, do not punish us because we have done foolishly and have sinned. Let her not be as one dead whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes out to his mother's womb. And Moses cried to the Lord. Who cried to the Lord? The guy that they were bashing? 
He cried to the Lord for him. He said, Oh my Lord, God, please heal her, please. The Lord said to Moses, If her father had spit in her face, would she not be shamed for seven days? So, let her be shut outside the camp seven days, and then she can be brought in again. So, her leprosy goes away. She enters back in to the right kind of relationship. What is it, what is it I'm describing? What meekness looks like. You see how Moses behaved? Yeah, he, he prayed for the ones who were talking about him. Yeah? He prayed for him. Who, who was Moses' defense? Did Moses have to defend himself? Who was Moses' defense? The Lord. Can we learn from that? Can we allow the Lord to be our defense? Can we say, nope, God's my defense. You know, tr- trust me, whatever you think, whatever, whatever things you may be struggling with, God cares more about it than you do. And, this might be something you don't know, God is able. He's able to raise up kings and take down kingdoms. He is able to both give you what you desire and say no. He is able and He is in control. He is in charge. For us who declare ourselves as believers, I'm a Christian. We sang a song earlier, The Lion and the Lamb, Every Knee Will Bow. You know whose knees first? Mine. I bow to knee. Jesus Christ is my King. How does He know that's real? How does He know the words from my lips is really who I am? Because I follow Him. He's the King. I follow Him. That's what makes him my king. That's what makes him my king. We sing every knee will bow. That should be the truth and the reality of our life, right? Every knee will bow. So we want to, we want to, as we look at this wisdom being expressed in our life, which is (coughs) one of the fruits of seeing Jesus Christ working in our life, but it comes out of our life in meekness, meaning I'm trusting God in my circumstances, even though my circumstance is just not quite what I want it to be. I'd like it to be a little different than this. I don't always understand what God's doing. Do you? I think I was here. I got here in July 2009. So in September of 2009, God hit me with a meat truck. And obliterated the Harley I rode up here from California. And my wife looked at me with those sad puppy dog eyes. Guys, you ever seen that before? And she said... Can, can we not get another bike? And I love my wife. So I said, yep, we cannot get another bike. So I didn't have another bike till last year. <laughs> I went from 2009 till, what was last year, 2016? So 2016, I had a dream. And in my dream, I was riding a bike, and I woke up, and I was so happy. I didn't look like a dog on the meme. I woke up smiling, and I looked over at my wife, and I said, I have the answer. The Lord has spoken. (laughs) And I can go get another bike. Now, 
Why did I have a bike? I had a, there was nothing wrong with the bike. I had a good bike. Everything was cool. The circumstances, I don't be, believe, are random. God took the bike away. That's okay. Later on, God gave the bike back. I'm okay with both. Why? Because I bowed a knee to Jesus Christ. He's my king. If he wants it, he can have it. If he wants to give it back, hallelujah, praise the Lord, I'll enjoy it. If he takes it again, he takes it again. It's his. Everything I have, I give to him. If he wants it, he can have it all. Now, on my, on the, on my stuff, it's easy. When it becomes a person, that's hard. Right? And we have all experienced in our life, every single one of us have experienced in our life, the loss of a person whom we loved dearly. But it's the same. He's still the Lord. And that person is still His. And He's still King. And I can trust Him. And I've shared with you before, why can I still trust Him? Because guys, when I come to Revelation chapter 21, I see the wrapping up of everything. You know what Jesus looks into my eyes and says? I make all things new. So whatever has been lost, whatever has been taken, whatever suffering and pain and hurt, all that stuff, God is going to take it all. I don't know how He does it. He's going to take it all. He's going to put His hands around it. And He's going to compress this big lump of coal. And when He takes His hands away, it's a diamond. And He says to me, look, I make all things new. All of it. And the only place I have that hope, the only place I have that hope, is in Christ. It's in Him. So if this is real, if this is really who I am and what I'm about, then that wisdom should be expressed in my life through that kind of meekness like Moses. Trusting God even though bad things are happening to me. Trusting God even though people are saying bad things about me. Trusting God even though everybody doesn't love me. That's so shocking. really not. If you know me for 10 minutes, you're like, yeah, that's really not all that shocking, Jackie. Really? No. What's really surprising is your wife's been with you forever. I know. Crazy. The good things that God gives us. So what's the imperative? The command. A command we can hold on to. God wants us to let this wisdom shine through us. That wisdom shines through us in meekness. In the example of meekness we see in the life of Moses. But, but I, there's some way, there's a, something I need that, that helps me, that equips me for that. God doesn't just ask me to do something He doesn't give me the ability to do. It says in Ephesians 5.18, Do not be drunk with wine, which is a waste of time. That's literal. Don't be drunk with wine, which is a waste of time, but be ye being filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh, the Holy Spirit is what is equipping us. Why do I say that? Because the fruit of the Spirit, guys, in Galatians 5, and 23, listen to it. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Look at the word. Gentleness, you know. Same as meek. Meekness. Meekness is, is one of the is part of the fruit of the spirit. 
So part of the fruit of the Spirit coming out of my life is I let the wisdom of Jesus Christ shine through me and come out in meekness that's empowered or given to me by the, by the Holy Spirit. So it's just a matter of me allowing it to come, allowing it to happen. God has given it to me. We need that Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit working through our life. Okay, I can say I'm filled with the Spirit. What's the proof? The fruit. I say I'm an apple tree. What's the proof? Apple. If I say I'm a lemon tree, what's what's the proof? I got lemons. If I say I'm a grapevine and I got grapefruit, something's wrong, right? Those aren't the same things. So we look here, we see being filled with the Spirit, part of, the fruit of the Spirit is love, right? That shines forth in our life this way through joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against which there is no law. The idea that that's the fruit of the reality that my life is surrendered to the Spirit. Now a lot of people tell you a lot of different things. Here's a proof you have the Holy Spirit. You speak in tongues. Anybody can speak in tongues. Anybody. You can't fake this stuff. You hear me? You can't fake love, joy, patience. You can't fake meekness. That's the reality, the truth that God is within us. Look what what James told us in verse 21, guys. He said, therefore, put away all filthiness and the rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word of God, which is able to save your soul. So how are we supposed to receive the word of God? Meekness. Oh, listen to that. I receive the word of God. How? With meekness. I need to receive the word of God with meekness. Man, every once in a while we got to get away, right? You guys ever feel that way? I feel that way too. I know sometimes it bugs people. Sorry. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. Is that how you're supposed to do it? So, so we go to, to, to Yellowstone. We shared a little bit about it and it was a really cool time and and part of that is, I, I, I just got to get uh, the juices flowing every once in a while again, you know. And sometimes the way to get the juices flowing in my life is to get quiet. And if I stay here, I, it's not quiet. It's a lot of things, but quiet is not one of them. So I'm up there, and often in my life, God has spoken to me in dreams. Just, you know, just... I wake up and I just know that that was a God thing, you know. Sometimes I can't remember them. Or I'll wake up and I'll think, wow, that was really cool. I want to remember that. And I go back to sleep. Does that ever happen to you guys? And you wake up and I can't remember. I remember it was really cool. Ah. So I was telling Kathy about that. She said, well, you know, when that happens, she, she picks up her phone and tells it to her phone. And then her phone, but that's way too many steps for me. <laughs> so I have this cool dream. And I wake up. And I get up, and I went and grabbed, she had her computer she had brought to do some women's retreat stuff. And I pop the computer up, I don't even know what time, crazy, dark, zero dark 30. <clears throat> and I got the computer open, and Kathy's like, what are you doing? And I was like, I, I, I had a dream, and I got to write it down. So you guys get to hear about it. So I, I have this, this thing, this just the reality of God speaking to me. And it's about the idea of receiving the Word of God in meekness. Receiving the Word of God. In other words, allowing the Word of God to be authoritative in your life. Bow on your knee to what the Word of God says. Right? 
If he's my king, and these are his commandments, where's the reality of that? How do you see it? The way I live my life, right? What I do with my life? Anyway, here's the dream. I have a dream. It's like watching a movie. I don't know if you guys have dreams like that. And I know the dude in, the, in my dream is me, but it's not me. It's like Kevin Costner. We'll say it's Kevin Costner. <clears throat> but I know, it's, I know it's really me. And they're at a pool, and there's a baptism that's going to happen, and I'm getting baptized. And so I go in the water. Now, one of my favorite, most favorite things to do in the water is just to sink down to the bottom and just hover there as long as I can. I just love how quiet it is. You know, you can hear your blood pumping sometimes in your ears. You guys know what I'm talking about? Just, just how peaceful. Just float, not, nothing, no crazy guys jumping on your head or trying to drown you. Just sitting there. So I'm doing that, right? I'm doing that. And then the next scene's not that anymore. It's me out of the water and two guys uh, are taking me, I'm pretty sure, to a loony bin. And the whole time they're taking me, I'm screaming, I don't want to die, I don't want to die, I don't want to die. And then there's a narrator over the dream. Just, just go with me. There's a narrator. There's a narrator in the dream. Here's what he says. Did you die in the water? And it was like somebody shined a bright light in my face. And all these concepts just start bouncing off of my head. Like boom, 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 boom. In my brain. Just from this phrase. So... I wake up and that's the first thing I write down. Did you die in the water? Got to get that down. Did I die in the water? Because, and like I said, it was just going off and hopefully I can make it make sense to you like it makes sense in my head. But I think about the rich young ruler. You guys remember the story about him and Mark? And he comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, you know, you've read the word. Do what it says. What does the word say? Do not steal, do not commit adultery, right? You guys remember? And the, and the rich young ruler looks at him and says, Lord, I've done all those since my youth. And then he says this, what else do I lack? And the next phrase in Mark, he says, and Jesus looked at him and loved him. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave so you and I could, could have what we don't have. It's the same way that Jesus looks at the rich young ruler. He loved him, so he does for him what he does for every one of us. This is what he said. Now, these aren't the words he said, but this is what he said. Give up your life and live mine. Are you willing to die to your own desires, to your own life, to your own plans, to the way you think your life should all work out? Are you willing to take all of that and sell it for an old rugged cross? Are you willing to give all that away? Because it's not of that whole scripture, guys. I know he talks about rich getting into heaven and all this stuff. But it's not about money. That whole thing is not about money. It's about your desires keeping you out of heaven. Because what you want is in opposition to what God wants. 
And I still remember the day Jesus did that for me. I, I've done lots of baptisms. I've done baptisms where dudes come out of the water and they're weeping and you can just see God's done something in their life. That wasn't my baptism. My baptism, I went under, came up. My baptism, I look at it like my baptism, a baptism of faith. Faith that God is going to do what He promised He would do. That I would die to my old life and I would live for Him. Right now what baptism is about? That's what it signifies. Dead to my life, alive to Him. But it don't always happen. Everybody, it doesn't always happen in the water. I remember sitting in, in, in 17 years old and serving God and doing all... I grew up in the church, man. I, I did all these things, did all these things for the Lord. But I'll, I still remember the day when I, when I, when a circumstance in my life changed and I got mad at God. Now I'm going to make God pay. I'm going to make Him pay. I'm going to ruin my life. Doesn't really work like that, does it? Well, I did the ruining my life part. That wasn't hard. And I ruined my wife's life, and I ruined my kids' lives. And, and there was a day in North Carolina, Jacksonville, Midway Park, in a trailer. I don't think I'll ever forget it, but I'm on my knees in front of this. The decorations were horrible in that trailer. I'm on, I'm on my knees in front of the couch, and I said to God, I'm looking at my life, and literally, my life is a pile of ash. I got nothing. I got a broken marriage, a wife who has no business staying with me, a baby who could die at any minute, all because of choices of my life. All because I was mad at God. All because when God said to me, Jackie, take all your goods and sell them. Give them to the poor. Get rid of all your dreams. You come follow me. And when that road was different than what I thought it should be, forget this. I still remember. I'm so thankful that Jesus looked at me and loved me. Enough to show me. Because what Jesus did for the rich young ruler is show him what he lacked. That's loving. What Jesus did for me in my life over a 13 year period of time was show me what I lacked. So in a trailer in the middle of nowhere in North Carolina... I bowed my knee to my king. And I said, your life, not me, not my life, not my way, your way. And my life was a big honking mess at the time. Some people say my life's still a big honking mess. But (laughs) what I want you to... To gather from that, what I want you to get from this, obviously, for those of you who may be panicking, we're not going to make it through the all five verses. <laughs> but I'll just add it to next week, and we'll do, oh, we'll see what we do. <clears throat> but what I, I just, guys, in the moment that I had that dream, I just felt like God was shouting to me, saying, this is what's wrong with most of the church. Because we have faith 
we have faith and we have the idea, the concepts. Where's the reality? Because it, it's real. It's true. I, I, I was facing total impossibility in North Carolina. Total impossibility. But what is it that Jesus told the disciples when they asked him about the rich young ruler? And, and he said, you know, it's easier for him to get through the eye of a needle. You remember? Which was to say it's impossible, right? Because a camel can't go through the eye of a needle. Don't believe all the nonsense about, yeah, there's a door somewhere. No, that's not what it says. A camel in the eye of the needle doesn't happen. Jesus' next word is, it's impossible, but all things are possible with God. So he shows, he shows us, guys, there's that moment, there's that moment. For some of you, you might be disappointed in your circumstance. You might be disappointed in what's happening in regard to to position at work. You might be disappointed with the direction of your life. You might be disappointed in your relationships and all of those things. And listen, I just want to tell you, make this journey a lot easier and bow the knee to Jesus now and say it's his life, not yours. Amen. And let him do it. Because he knows where all those pieces go. I handed him a pile of ash. But the Bible says he will give you beauty for ashes. And that's what he did. I, I won't tell you it was easy. I'll just tell you that's the truth. He gave me beauty for ashes. This wisdom that we want to see flowing through our lives, God. The reality of seeing Jesus in our life. We all need to die in the water. We all got to have that moment we died. I died to me. I died to my way. I died to my plans. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. You know what the next phrase is? It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So it's not something I'm making up, man. That's real. We bow to knee and say, that's not my life, Lord. That's what coming to Christ is all about. It's not my life. It's not my way. It's not my plans. I give what I got, a bunch of junk, for what you're offering to make all things new. Man, it's a killer. It's a killer trade. Killer. It's real. It's powerful. And when that happens, when that happens, our lives begin to change from the inside out. Our lives begin to transform. We become something different. We're, we're not who we're going to be, but we're not who we were. Now, we don't forget who we were, because it's important to remember what we come through, and the, and the, and the things we're learning, and the things we're going through. That's great. All of that's important. But it's got to be a constant working in my life, which causes me to have constantly dropping on my knees before God and reminding myself, yeah, it's your way, not mine. It's your way, not mine. Man, when, when Daniel and Anna Lewis started going out to Shoshone, Daniel came to me and he said, what do you think, Jackie? I'm, I feel like I might be called to be a pastor. And, and I said, I don't want you to go. I don't want you to go to Shoshone. I don't want you to go across the street. 
I want you to stay here. I want you to be a part of this team. I want you to be a part of our ministry efforts. I want you to be with us until I die. That's what I said. And then God starts making the nest a little uncomfortable. And you have little issues. We work ourselves through. It's all good. Nothing bad. We work our way through these things. That's part of being in the family of God. That's real life. If any of you say you're married and you never fought with your husband or wife, I'll tell you, you're not married. <laughs> so we work our way through all this stuff, but part of all that stuff leads into this dis- burning desire that Daniel said, I got in my eyes, got to go look at Missouri. I don't know why. I just got to go look. I got to get it out of my system and then I can just fully serve. And I'm like, I said, right on, go. So he went. And he came back. And he asked me a question. He said, Jackie, if, if God was calling you to something and, and you knew God was calling you to it, but it was different than your plan, would you still say yes? And I said, yeah, man, if God's calling, we got to do what God's calling. And he said, God's calling me to Missouri, and I don't want to go, but I know, I know that's where God wants us to be. That's God's plan. So I get on my knee, and once again I say, it's your life, God, not mine. It's your plan, God, not mine. You're, you're moving the pieces on the board, not me. I, I, don't, I barely have enough know-how to, to deal with my own life. Trust me, I cannot run nobody else's. Uh, but I do have to have that time where I go to the Lord and I say, Yeah, God, you're the king, not me. Your plans, not my plans. That's so vital for our lives, guys. That's got to be a part of our life. If what we have with, with Christ is real, that's got to be a part of who we are and what we're about. And the reality is, guys, the reality is when those things happen, and as you guys know, Daniel and Anna, they're in Missouri now, and me and Kathy made a four-day mad, crazy, psycho trip running to Missouri, and we took them some stuff, and we got to spend time with them, we got to pray with them, got to see the kids smiling and laughing and just having a ball, and just see the sweet fit that God's working, and that's not the end of it, the journey, I know there's more, but, but just to see, just to be able to go, yeah, you're right, dude, I'm not shy, trust me, I would say, don't, don't go, but you see the fingerprints of God, and you got to decide who's in charge, right? So, we, we're going to pray for Daniel and Anna all the time. Remember him in our prayers. And I hope for you guys, in your story, you realize you're not in charge of it. I'm not in charge of your story neither. God's in charge. And we need to bow the knee to what he's doing. Amen? Amen? Yes. Before we take off, we have, Daniel was an elder on a board of elders. So the elders got together prayed about bringing another elder on and so we asked robin quigley to come on the board and he said yes so i'm going to have robin come up and and marlene and we're going to pray for him